So in this podcast, we wanted to share with you uh, some of the U.S.-Cuba relations from a historical perspective. Oftentimes when uh, people talk about U.S.-Cuba relations, the discussion tends to start uh, around January 1st, 1959, when Fidel Castro uh, overthrew the Cuban government. Uh, But the dynamics between Cuba and the United States started well before that. Support for this program comes from the Digital Broadcasting Network, presenting podcasts and web series from everyday people who have an extraordinary passion to make the world a better place. To view this podcast, visit channel713.com, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or whichever podcasting service you use. Welcome to the next generation of broadcasting. So if we look, uh, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1942, uh, runs into a number of islands in the Caribbean, Cuba being one of them. Uh, Cuba was later colonized by Spain. The United States always had an interest in Cuba. Uh, Cuba was in a constant civil war with Spain for its independence Uh, In fact, the United States offered to buy Cuba from Spain in the late 1800s, and Spain denied that offer. Well, just so happened that the USS Maine experienced an explosion. It was in the Havana Harbor, and that incident spawned uh, the Spanish-American War of 1898, where the United States intervened in the fight between the Cubans and the Spaniards. Now, the Cubans, with the assistance of the Americans, win the war uh, against Spain. Uh, Of course, the entire objective by the Cubans was to gain their independence, but they entered into an agreement with the Americans known as the Platt Agreement of 1902. And in effect, uh, two things came out of that agreement. It allowed the uh, United States government to intervene in uh, Cuban affairs uh, to protect American interests, which was primarily uh, around uh, business interests. And number two, it allowed uh, the United States to establish a naval base on the island, uh, specifically in Guantanamo Bay. So if we fast forward uh, uh, to 1940, this is when uh, Fulgencio Batista uh, becomes the president of Cuba with the support of the Americans. Uh, Cuba's doing okay uh, at this uh, time, and, but uh, they start running into some uh, economic problems and you start to have some uh, civil unrest within, uh, within the island. Uh, there are a number of protests that are going on uh, because of the drastic uh, disparity in in wealth uh, on the island. There's quite a bit of corruption. You have uh, American mobsters on the island. You you have high prostitution, drugs, things of that nature, which gives rise to uh, not only Fidel Castro, but other popular uh, leaders uh, in Cuba who were railing against the uh, uh, Batista establishment. Uh, There were two other well-known leaders in the Cuban Revolution, a gentleman by the name of Frank Pais, 
which he was from Santiago de Cuba, and um, Jose Echeverra from Havana, and of course, uh, Fidel Castro. Both uh, Echeverra and Pais were killed during the revolution. And as we all know, on January 1st, 1959, Fidel Castro takes power. Um, now, this is the point where most people start to discuss uh, the dynamics between the United States and Cuba relations. The uh, Castro government essentially nationalizes a bunch of assets that were owned by companies from other countries. Uh, so, for example, Hilton had a hotel in Havana, Cuba, uh, which is now known as the Havana Libre Hotel. Uh, that was essentially nationalized by the Cuban government. ExxonMobil had operations in uh, Cuba, which uh, the Cuban government nationalized. The Cuban government seized large tracts of farmland from wealthy Cubans and then redistributed the land to peasants who worked those farms, uh, which essentially was a massive redistribution of wealth on the island. Many uh, of the aristocrats on the island left. It was a revolution. So, of course, with the revolution, there's going to be bloodshed. People die. Uh, that is the uh, natural consequence of uh, revolutions. The United States reacts by imposing initial embargoes uh, against the island and starts to plan on ways to uh, remove Fidel Castro from power. Uh, and in 1961, we have the Bay of, Pig in, Bay of Pigs invasion. During that invasion, you had CIA-led uh, counter-revolutionaries uh, in the United States trying to take uh, Fidel Castro out. Fidel Castro leads his Cubans in their fight against uh, the invasion and uh, the United States fails in their attempt to take out Fidel Castro. This obviously emboldens uh, Fidel Castro and to a great degree uh, solidifies him uh, since he was able to uh, thwart uh, an invasion by the United States of America. By 1962, we have a full embargo, no trade, no travel to Cuba. And sure enough, later in 1962, uh, October of 1962, we have the Cuban Missile Crisis. This was a result of the United States learning that the Soviet Union was implementing or establishing bases on the island of Cuba that would allow close-range nuclear bombs to be able to uh, reach American soil in, in no time. Of course, this created a, a major standoff between the United States uh, and Cuba, and that brought us to brink of a nuclear war. Uh, thankfully enough, President John F. Kennedy uh, was able to reconcile this that issue with the Soviets and that matter was resolved. Later on, uh, in 1996, we have the Helms-Burton Act, which basically codifies the embargo, which requires now 
that the embargo can only be lifted by an act of Congress. Uh, we'll fast forward to uh, 2008, where Fidel Castro hands power to his brother, Raul Castro. And um, you fast forward to December 17, 2014, where President Barack Obama announced the normalization of relations between the United States and Cuba. Now, the overview I just provided spanned over a century. Uh, certainly, there uh, were many other events that took place that were critical in the current status of the relationship between uh, the United States uh, and Cuba. But I just want to make sure that I at least did hit some of the highlights for you. At this point, what I would like to do is share with you a little bit more about the effects of the embargo. Well, uh, as I referenced earlier, the embargo was implemented in the early 1960s that, in effect, uh, ostracized Cuba not only from trade, from trade and travel with Americans, but it had a chilling effect because you had other countries that were apprehensive to interface with the Cuban government because the United States was not dealing with the Cuban government as they would normally interface with any other sovereign nation. Well, if you can imagine these effects, uh, so I, I, the best way I can probably describe it is through my uh, personal experiences. Uh, as a child, my parents would often pack clothes, food, medicine, and other items throughout the year and take it to Cuba for family members and friends because they did not have access to it. I think Americans often cannot appreciate uh, the stifling effect that the embargo plays on the Cuban government uh, and, most importantly, the Cuban people. Frankly, I think the government is going to be okay, referring to the Cuban government, but it is the Cuban people who ultimately will and have been uh, suffering the most as a result of the U.S. embargo against Cuba. So I'll share with you that uh, I went to Cuba in 1992. Uh, the year before that, in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. Cuba relied on the Soviet Union for a number of subsidies. The primary one was petroleum. Petroleum and all of the subsidies that were provided to Cuba essentially disappeared overnight and it just sent Cuba into a financial crisis. So I'm in Cuba the following year. If people were able to find a bus that had enough fuel to uh, transport them, um, those buses were not only jam packed within the bus, but you had people hanging on the bus to get to work. Uh, and, and those who were not lucky to uh, grab onto that uh, mode of transportation were simply out of luck. Uh, I recall we had the opportunity to meet with some Cuban scientists and they were sharing with us that Cubans discovered a number of uh, medical um, breakthroughs and or experienced a number of medical breakthroughs and uh, had uh, a number of medicines 
that resolved a lot of the ailments that Americans were dealing with. But as a result of the embargo, Americans were also not um, able to get those uh, drugs because of the embargo. On the flip side, because the United States had access to a number of drugs, Cubans could not get as much of those drugs as they needed. They would have to go through third party countries who would place who would place a premium on those drugs and then sell them to the Cuban government. Well, uh, as you can imagine, uh, if you don't have enough drugs, people die if uh, you're dealing with the ailment that can cause someone's death. These examples go on and on and on. People don't have food, clothing, um, medicine, and this plays a lot into the politics between the United States and Cuba, and even within the politics within the United States itself. So, for example, uh, we now have President Donald Trump, who during the campaign basically shared two positions uh, he initially was he said he, he thought what President Obama did with the new Cuban, Cuban policy was fair and then uh, later on said that Cuba needed to change its position on human uh, rights issues Donald Trump becomes president uh, wins the state of Florida I believe Florida has 29 electoral college uh, votes, uh, which uh, uh, President Trump won. And so, of course, uh, he has already uh, claimed or filed to run for re-election in 2020 and naturally wants to make sure that he has Florida. Politics of Florida is a little interesting uh, because you have such a high number of Cuban Americans who live in Florida. Many of them, particularly the older ones, tend to be uh, Republicans. Uh, many of them were people who left Cuba when Fidel Castro took over. Remember, these were the people who were able to book a flight at the last minute, leave everything behind, and then reestablish themselves in the United States. And understandably so, have a lot of frustration with the uh, Cuban government because their wealth was essentially stripped from them. And that frustration, anger, uh, resentment has carried on not only for decades, but oftentimes has been passed along to their children. Uh, in fact, you have people today who will say that they have never, they're Cuban descendants. Uh, let's say their parents are from Cuba. Uh, they uh, have never been to Cuba and will say that they will never go to Cuba until their parents die. Because the idea of them going to Cuba would be comparable to a slap in the face to their parents. And uh, to make sure that, you know, they don't disappoint their parents, uh, you have a lot of Cuban Americans who will not go to, to Cuba. And so... You have our elected officials, uh, I'll use uh, uh, Senator Marco Rubio as an example, who is well financed by, by a lot of the Cuban business community. Of course, uh, Senator Rubio wants to be reelected. The Cubans have a strong power base in Miami. And as a result, he is going to 
deliver on his on what his constituents want, right? And remember, the folks who have money, at least in my opinion, have a an even stronger voice. And you have President Obama who wants to be reelected. I'm sorry. I, President Trump, who wants to be reelected. And if we uh, just follow the basic politics, it makes sense as to why you have the dynamics that we have today. It's largely political. So in summary, the objective was to share with you some historical context between U.S. and Cuba relations, starting from the United States intervening in the uh, fight between Cuba and the Spaniards in the uh, Spanish-American War of 1898, then 1902, the Platt Amendment Agreement, 1959, January 1st, 1959, Fidel Castro overthrowing the uh, Cuban government, 1960, we have the embargo, 1961, we have the Bay of Pigs, 1962, we have the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, fast forward to 2014, President Obama normalizes relations with Cuba. And we talked about some of the effects of the embargo where uh, it prohibits uh, the Cuban people from having uh, some basic uh, necessities such as food, medicine, and oftentimes basic clothing. But it also has an adverse effect on Americans because we are not able to take advantage of some of the medical advances that the Cubans have uh, discovered, which include cancer uh, treatments. So thank you for listening to The Cuban Connection. Please subscribe using iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcasting service that you use. And join us on our next podcast where we will be discussing the current affairs of trade between the United States and Cuba. Again, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, my name is Felix Chevalier with The Cuban Connection.